Let's pray. God, you are worthy. Jesus, you are worthy. Holy Spirit, you are worthy of our worship, of our praise. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what it is that you have done for us in Jesus. Thank you that you send your Holy Spirit to help bring us to a point where we can have faith and to live in faith in you. God, I pray that you would take this time now as we look at your word and we look at our hearts. We are in a busy season as we get ready for all the things that Christmas is to us. But God, we don't ever want to let any of that get in the way of what Christmas is really all about. And that is the birth of your son, Jesus, our Savior. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to whatever it is that you might have for us this morning. And God, we do give you thanks, we give you worthy, and we give, excuse me, we give you worship and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So my plan was to start this message really loud, like to just really loud. And then I realized the first few words that I have would not be smart to do that because the first thing I was going to do was go heart attack, (laughs) stroke, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. And I thought if I yelled that, it might make something happen that wouldn't be fun on a Sunday morning. So I'm going to start it out heart attack, stroke. High cholesterol, high blood pressure. We hear those words and those are a warning. They're our body's way of letting us know that our heart is in trouble. We don't like to hear about them. We don't like to have to deal with them. But, you know, if you go to a doctor and the doctor uses any one of those or a group of those, you are well advised to listen carefully and to take some immediate action to keep things from getting any worse. But do you? We dread hearing those things. We dread thinking that could be something we have to deal with. But if you do, if that has been the case for you, and you have heard one of those words, what do you do about it? What's your response? I mean, everybody knows that our hearts are pretty important. So what do you do when you hear that there's a possibility of a heart attack or stroke or high blood pressure or high cholesterol? What if you went to the doctor tomorrow? And the doctor said, you know what, or maybe give you till Thursday, you can recover from the message. You're going to the doctor on Thursday. And the doctor says, you know what, the good news is that you're still here with us. The bad news is you've got to make some changes, because some of you have had this appointment. If you don't change your diet, if you don't lose some weight, if you don't exercise 30 minutes a day, I can't promise I'm going to be able to see you next year. What are you going to do if that happens? You know, that, that a study was done. And there was a group of men, el- women, you can elbow the guys next to you right now. There's a group of men that heard those words, really truly. They went to the doctor, they did this study, and they told a whole bunch of these guys that if you don't make significant changes, and if you don't make them starting immediately, you are not likely to live for another year. You've got to lose weight. You've got to start to exercise. You've got to change your diet. You've got to quit drinking. You've got to quit smoking. Whatever it was. Question is, would you change your life to prevent that? 60% of the men that were told that did nothing. They made zero change whatsoever. Doctor says you've got less than a year unless you start doing things differently. 60% of the men did absolutely nothing. Not a thing. They didn't change a thing when the doctors told them there was no real guarantee they'd be alive in a year. Why? I think it's because we get really comfortable in this life that we create for ourselves. 
Even when things come our way that aren't so comfortable, that aren't good to hear, that we'd like to have changed. See, we've created this life and we are not inclined to change it. Not in any significant way. The same thing can be said of our spiritual heart. Sometimes we need to do a heart check. We need to take an honest look at, at who we are and how we're living in the shape of our heart spiritually. How it is that we're living spiritually. You know, and maybe we find this place of comfort with our faith where we know what we believe, we know what we're living, and, and it's not that bad. And even if the Bible tells us we need to make changes, even if the Bible says, the words of the Bible are clear, you're headed to your own destruction. So often we justify it and say, yeah, but I'm comfortable. I like the way I'm living. Everything's okay. It doesn't seem to be that bad. Even with our spiritual hearts, we're not particularly inclined to change. We might believe, but do we have faith? And they're very different things. Heart attacks, strokes, high blood pressure, other illnesses are a sign of a sick heart. But when we think about our spiritual heart, it's a little harder for us to diagnose because we don't like to think that we could possibly have those things wrong with us. A sick spiritual heart might be pride, it might be selfishness, Jealousy, anger, gossiping, being easily offended, and other things are a sign of, of a spiritually sick heart. That we're not completely right with God. Our relationship with Him is not as good as it could be. Just like if the doctor tells you that your heart is sick, your relationship with food and exercise are not as good as they could be. For our hearts, both physically and spiritually, they need and they deserve our care and attention. But if we don't do any more with our spiritual heart than we're inclined to do with our physical heart, we just stay in a state where we get more and more sick. So December 17th, one week from today is December 24th. It's Christmas Eve. One week from today, we're going to gather right here three different times and we're going to celebrate Christmas. And a lot of you, you are up to your ears in Christmas stuff. I know, I'm talking to you. I see what's going on. I live in the same part of the world you do. Stuff that is like shopping and, and food lists and, and gifts and wrapping and buying groceries and cooking and baking and cleaning and it just is one big oofda. But that stuff, you know what? That stuff is all what we've turned Christmas into. It's what we have done with Christmas. None of that stuff has to happen. It's stuff that we choose to fill our lives and our time with. Now, to me it seems that it would make more sense that we spend more time celebrating God's gift of the baby Jesus than we spend with all of the time and money we make sure to have gifts for all the people that we try to shop for. We go on these credit card-fueled spending sprees rather than stop and have gratitude and thanksgiving for God's gift of Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Christmas. I love the decorations and the fun and the gifts and the music and the sweets. I really do, but I also know that there's a lot more. There, there is so much more to Christmas. And the more often gets lost to that other stuff. See, the, the trouble is, for a lot of us, what we end up doing is filling our days and our nights and our time and our money and our heads and our hearts with the busyness of Christmas and we have little time or energy left over for the heart of Christmas, which is God's gift of His only Son, Jesus. 
So with that thought in mind, let's take some time this morning, one week, literally exactly one week before Christmas. Let's take a biblical look at the human heart as God shares with us in His Word what He has to say about it. And if you choose to, you could use this as an opportunity for some self-evaluation of the current state of your heart. No judgment, no criticism. That's not for me to do. Just you and your heart, your Bible, and God. And a room full of a few hundred people that are probably doing the same thing. So we begin all the way back in the beginning of the Bible, all the way back in Genesis. Things started really good for us. Humankind got off to a fantastic start. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Do you know that you are created in the image of God? There is something about you that reflects the very image of God. We are the image bearers of our Creator. From the very beginning, like that song just said, from the very beginning, the goodness of God rests within you. What will you do with it? You don't have to make yourself good. You have the image of God already in you. Our hearts were designed and created to be a reflection to the world around us of the goodness of God. If a human heart doesn't reflect the image of God, it is because that person has chosen to fill their heart with things that are not of God. It turns out that that must be pretty common because five chapters later, only five chapters later, we haven't even made it to the, begin, or the middle of the book of Genesis. God says something else. Genesis 6, verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What happened? Five chapters later, we go from being very good, created in the image of God, to having every intent of the thought of our hearts being only evil. How did we go from one extreme to the other? The answer, of course, is sin. Your sin and mine. Sin is what caused that change. See, God allows us, God, God chooses for us to reflect Him to the world around us, or we can choose to shape our heart in such a way that it's a reflection of the darkness and the sin that surrounds and fills us. See, the condition of our hearts reflects what we choose to focus on. The state of our hearts, the state of your heart, is a statement of the choices that you make. God's desire for us, of course, is that we keep our hearts closely attuned and tied to Him and are aware and responsible for what it is that we allow to enter them. The only one who is responsible for what fills your heart and your mind is you. No one can force you to think or believe anything else. We hear this talk today about needing to comply and and going along with what we're told, but you know what? No one can truly force you to think or believe anything. We are responsible for the content of our heart. In fact, in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, God says, I will give them, here's God's desire, I will give them a singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart so they will obey my decrees and regulations and they will truly be my people and I will be their God. God does not want you to have a hardened, broken heart. God wants you to have a heart that is in the image of His heart that is soft and gentle, that is tender and responsive, 
that chooses and wants to obey Him. And then we will truly be His people. And He says, I will be their God. Singleness is singleness of purpose, singleness of focus. One who has given his or her life to Jesus as their Lord and Savior lives and thinks and acts and seeks to honor God first in all things. And that's tough. That's tough because, let's be honest, we want what we want. We want what we want, and not everything that we want for ourselves is what God wants for us. Not all of the things that we fill our lives and our minds and our hearts with honor God. Some of those things actually build a wall between us. And before you know it, we feel like we're standing on one side and God is a long way off over here. But that's not God's desire for us. That is not what it is that God wants for you. Proverbs 4.3 says, Guard your hearts with all vigilance, for out of it flows springs of life. Who is responsible for taking care of your heart? You are. Who is responsible for what goes into it? You are. Who is responsible for what you fill your head with? You are. For God's design for you is that out of your heart flow springs of life. See, what's overwhelmingly clear throughout the Bible is that what God wants is for us to have a soft and loving heart. And throughout Scripture, God pursues us with His love. And what God wants for us is to have hearts that choose to seek Him. God wants us to have hearts that love Jesus and love people and teach people to love Jesus. A godly heart is a happy heart. It's a joy-filled heart. It is a heart that is confident, that is at ease, and that sleeps well at night. But Proverbs, Proverbs 15, 15 also says, For the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. That choice is yours to make. Do you want a day that's filled with trouble every day? Or do you want life to just be a continual, unending feast of goodness? See, we're in, we're in a good heart place. Life is a very, very different experience. For us as Christians, a good place for our heart is when it's centered on God, not on us. On the things that God wants for us, not on the things that we want for ourselves. And when we're focused on God, it naturally has us seeing and interacting with the people around us in a new light, in a new way. See, when God changes us, the Bible says over and over and over, when God changes us, He begins with our hearts. Jeremiah 24, 7, I will give them a new heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be My people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to Me with their whole heart. We know that faith is a gift that God gives us through the Holy Spirit. So even our decision to choose to believe and live for Jesus begins with God, and then God waits for our response. God gives us a new heart. And with that heart, we want the things that God wants for us. Everything in the Bible is centered with the heart. That doesn't make sense that we understand things medically. The, the mind is certainly tied to it. You, you know, I've heard many, many times that the longest distance in the world is between your brain and your heart. We can believe something, but not have faith in it. You can believe something is true, but you believe it for someone else. You're not about to put yourself or your life at risk for it. To believe is not to have faith. Faith is a heart thing. Our heart, and God knows this, is the center of everything that we are. Years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, hear, hear a story kind of in an up-close and personal way about Rod Carew. Remember him? He used to play for the Twins. Rod Carew ended up having uh, open-heart surgery and ended up having a transplant. 
He had a different heart put in him, literally a new heart. And when he woke up from surgery, as I recall the story, his wife was there in the room with him, and she said, how do you feel? What can I get for you? And he said, I'd like a cup of coffee with creamer. And she says, you don't drink coffee. And he said, I do now. So they contacted the family of the man whose heart was given to Rod Carew. His favorite thing was coffee with creamer. There is something about the heart when we get a new heart that radically changes us. So much so that a man that never drank coffee and creamer suddenly craved coffee and creamer as the first thing in his waking, waking moments. When God talks about changing our hearts, it's a real thing. And then what follows is that our minds begin to change. We return to God when we recognize that we make ourselves so busy, we make ourselves so busy with the stuff of the world that we don't even have time for the things of God. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of, the, of your heart. You know why God can say that? Because when, when you delight, when your heart just dances over the things of God, God wants to give you the things of your heart because now your heart is in line with Him. See, it's simple when we do it because we focus on God. When God is in our hearts, the desire of our heart changes and we begin to align with the things that God wants for us. And God is more than happy to give you the things that are good for you. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Faith and belief are different things. It begins with belief and then it moves to faith and faith is action. But maybe it helps to take a moment and say, what does it mean to be saved? There's an awful lot of talk about being saved and salvation. In the Bible, Jesus came that we might be saved. What does it mean? To be saved is more than just believing in Jesus. It's more than just accepting Jesus as your Savior. To be saved is to give Jesus His rightful place as the Lord of your life and to begin to live for Him and not for yourself. To be saved is not to be more religious. To be saved doesn't make you spiritually superior. In fact, what to be saved is, is a daily moment-by-moment relationship with Jesus as your Savior. To be saved isn't just going to church when it's convenient. To be saved is a full-time commitment to Jesus and to the bride of Christ, which is His church on earth. To be saved is to be changed beginning with your heart, and then your mind, and then your thinking. I read once that Billy Graham did an interview, and they asked him, you know, after his many, many years of of ministry and, and seeing so many people come forward, How many people do you think are really going to be in heaven? And Billy Graham got real serious, and his answer was, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised, which is consistent with Scripture. Billy Graham said, I think about 10% of those who go to church and call themselves Christians will find their way in heaven. And I thought, how gloomy and doomy coming from the great Billy Graham. I don't want that to be true of us. So we're going to continue to work through the tough stuff so we understand the difference between belief and faith. We understand what are the things that keep us from the relationship with God that He wants us to have. There's a lot of ways that we describe the human heart. Some people talk about hearts as being dark. Some are cunning. Some are manipulative. There are hard hearts and there's broken hearts. 
There's arrogant and selfish. That's why Jeremiah 17.9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And yet, you know what? We also have the gift of the other side of that. We see some people that have hearts that are so wonderfully generous. They are kind and loving beyond what we can maybe even understand. Some people wear their hearts on their sleeves, we say. They're willing to love and help anybody, no matter how many times they've been hurt. And what I think I see in America after my time in ministry, what I think I see in America is not most people who are intent on evil. I don't see most people out there trying to hurt and harm and offend others. What I honestly see is people whose hearts are just too overcrowded. We have hearts that are jammed with so many things that we think belong there and should have space. We have hearts that are as crowded as a New York City subway in rush hour. And there just becomes the time where there's no room for anyone else. And yet we think we've got to stuff something else in there. That's no place that anybody wants to be. We fill our hearts with so many wants and loves and passions and people and concerns and worries that we're just simply too crowded to have a heart that we can fully give to Jesus. We don't have room for a Savior who wants all of us. So next week, that's what we're going to talk about. That's what the Christian Christmas message is going to be. Do you have room in your heart for Jesus? Part of what I hope you can take some time this week and think about is what are the things that are crowding Jesus out of my heart? Not talking your mind. That gets next. What are the things that are crowding Jesus out of your heart? I love the passage from Deuteronomy 36. The Lord your God will change your heart and the hearts of all of your descendants so that you will love Him with all of your heart and soul so you may live. God will change your heart. When God changes your heart, you begin to truly live. You can't change your heart on your own. Stop trying to change your heart by making a different decision or a better decision. Allow God to change your heart. But when you do, God sets it up that the heart of your descendants, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, all begin to change because you allow God to work on your heart. We're all going to be with family at Christmas. Most of us, not everybody, maybe most of us are going to be with family. Think about those of you who have children. Think of you who have family who have children. Think about the generations that are younger than you. Your heart change, by allowing God to change your heart, is going to influence and impact and change generations that follow. That's the difference that Jesus makes. We can have... The the choices that you make to fill your heart with the things of God will make a difference and have an influence years down the road with people that you'll never meet. So where do you start? Where do you take all this this self-thinking and looking at your heart and, and wondering what it is that you need to do? Where do you even begin? Great question. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in Psalm 51.10. And it's so simple. You can memorize it. You can memorize it right here, right now. I'll say it three times and you'll have it down if you want to. This is where you can start. It's a prayer. It's a prayer that says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. God is the one who creates a new heart in you and I. We don't do it ourselves, but we're responsible for what's there. God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. 
Stop trying to change your heart on your own. Stop trying to be a completely different person on your own without God. Trust in God and turn the condition of your heart over to the one who created your heart and let Him give you a clean heart and a right spirit within you. That's something you just simply can't do on your own. And when you do that, the only thing that can stop the growth of a human heart as it begins to grow and move closer to God, your Creator, is a human mind. That's why the Bible says transformation begins with the renewing of your mind. God gives you a new heart. And the only thing that can stop the work that God is doing, the only thing that can stop the work that God is doing in renewing your mind and the way that you think is you. You can stop that process. You can choose to go back to the things of old, the things before God gave you a new heart. Or you can choose to keep yourself close to God and fill your heart And allow God to fill your mind with the things that you were created to be filled with. Which is thoughts of Him. Thoughts of His Son Jesus as your Savior and the Holy Spirit that gives us the faith that even allows us to live that life that we say that we want to live. Let's pray. God, thank You. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit. Thank You, God, that we know that You are real, that You're there, and that You have spent all of history working to try to bring us back to You. God, You you are constantly chasing after us. You don't want us to live with crowded hearts. You don't want us to live with evil hearts or with broken hearts. God, You want us to live with hearts that are close to You. Hearts that reflect the image of You that You have placed in every one of us. So wherever we are, wherever we are in our life or in our faith, in our belief, God, we know that all of us were created in Your image. And we just simply can't ask for a better place to start. So God, I ask in this week before Christmas that You would work in our hearts. That You would create room in our hearts that we would want to be filled with the things of You. Not the things that we crowd You out with, but things of You. In Jesus' name, Amen. So it's time for our morning gifts, tithes, and offerings. GTO, gas, tires, and oil, like Pete says. Um, Today I'm going to try a little bit of a different understanding of it. We are two-thirds of the way through our year-end push to raise $500,000, and we're about a one-third of the way there. So we've got a ways to go if we're going to make it. So the example that I want to use is something like this. It's in the New Testament all over the place. There's a difference between belief and faith. We're in an area that we're blessed with a lot of, a lot of farmers and a lot of fields. If you're not in the farming world, I'll tell you something. When you see them out there in the spring and they're putting down uh, corn into the ground, you believe that that corn will turn into corn plants and there'll be a whole lot more than where they started. You believe that. If you're a farmer, you have faith that it will. Faith is action. Belief is saying, yep, that's true. That's probably going to happen. I believe in that. Faith is to say, I'm willing to take action. I'm willing, I'm willing to do something about what I believe. You might say that that, uh, developing and having this building as a safe home for our pre-K kids through our sixth graders, fifth graders, no, through our sixth graders, the building through our pre-K through sixth graders is the right idea. You might say it's the right idea, but do you have the faith to help bring that about? That's what this capital campaign is all about. So just like a farmer puts soil in the ground and doesn't just believe but has faith that that will return a greater crop to them. Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. There's a lot of people who believe but there aren't that many who are willing to take action. 
who will volunteer, who will give to make it happen. And so as we collect gifts and tithes and offerings, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for giving towards this project. Thank you for believing in our mission to raise our kids and our young adults and our our older students and to help the community around us know who Jesus is. But also thank you for your faith in helping to make it happen. If you'd stand, we'll continue to worship.